Hey, Think Realty, thanks so much for watching today and viewing and listening and always participating in the podcast. We always appreciate uh, all the participation you have. Uh, I'm very grateful for um, the support that you guys provide, but also the feedback. And we've got a great guest for you today we'll get to in just a second. But I want to say a quick thank you uh, to our podcast sponsor, which is Residential Assisted Living Academy. The Residential Assisted Living Academy introduces you to a lucrative opportunity that can yield $10,000 a month net. Uh, that is, that's cash flow for you, but also can be passed on as a, le a legacy piece for your loved ones. Um, and it's also a great way to service an upcoming uh, and growing industry of senior citizens, that are senior citizens that need great places to live. You can find out more about that at ral101.com. That's ral101.com. Our guest uh, today uh, is no stranger to our podcast and our world. Uh, it's Ben Fertig. Ben's with Constructive uh, Capital. Uh, ben, thanks so much for being on the show today. Appreciate you joining us. Yeah, no, appreciate you having me and it's good to catch up and looking forward to actually catching up in person in a couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the Think Realty audience, right? Like they um, are made up of real estate investors and our average listener it has 10 properties or 12 properties or maybe they have 50 properties. A lot of single family. Some of them have bridged into uh, multifamily, some into commercial. Um, and I, what I'd like for you to do, if you could do it at a little bit lower level, uh, is explain sure. to them the basic concept of the capital markets and how capital comes to them. I think it's the biggest misnomer in the real estate space is where this capital comes from. And because you are both at the source, you're also at the aggregate level, and you're also you know, at, 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 the, at the very, you know, the highest level and the lowest level, it's like you bridge all spaces. Would you mind just give like a two minute, like overview of how this capital gets to them? You know, sure, sure, I'll try anyway. Um, so, so look, at Constructive, we're generally, uh, to simplify it, in two asset classes when it comes to private lending. Um, the first of which is DXCR rental loans, so to any of your uh, of your listener base um, that owns 10 to 12 properties, I'm sure that they're renting those properties out. We're also active in residential transit transitional loans. Um, those are fix and flip loans, ground up construction loans, but any shorter duration loan, of course, that you know at the end the the underlying borrower effectuates some type of liquidity event. Now. The, the capital structure of, of each of those asset classes is a little bit different. Constructive, just because of the nature of our platform, does work with institutional money. Um, it's a combination of Wall Street or fixed income-based money and insurance money at this particular point, as, as all of your listeners, I'm sure, know. Um, there's been a lot of volatility in the bond market. It's reflected in the interest rate landscape. Insurance capital um, is a little less sensitive um, to some of the nuances there, but you know that's generally, you know, the makeup of the capital that gets deployed into the DSCR rental loans. Those are thirty-year loans, so it's pretty formative. And then, you know, for the shorter duration loans, the fix and flip loans, I would tell you that it's it's probably a wider range of how the capital is structured. Um, many of your uh, many of your clients and listeners, uh, I think Realty probably borrow for some local guys. Um, you know, there's a lot of value add based on the flexibility of that type of capital. It could be anything from friends and family money or 
you know, um, non-institutional sources all the way up to, uh, you know, that same type of bond money where those loans are effectively securitized in the capital market. Um, and that money generally comes with a better price, but a little bit more framework around, um, you know, what you can do with that capital. I mean, you know, in order to, to uh, you know, ascertain the best cap, you know, cost of capital, you, you've got to put some framework and standards around it. Um, so I, I think that, you know, there's more pliability on the residential transitional side, but I think that, you know, from our perspective, we're really getting all of our capital from either the fixed income bond side or from direct insurance money. And then what we're doing is we're putting that out to our broker base who would then deal with um, your listener base, right? And I and yeah, I think the beauty of the broker base is that, you know, look, there's just things that constructive that we just can't do, right? Or we don't do as well as, um, you know, some of our core competencies. And I think just given where the market is now, right? And I think uh, investors have to be selective Supply is somewhat constrained. Deals are tougher when it comes to the calculus as to whether they work because of the cost of financing. It's just better to focus your time on relationships where, um, you know, you'll end up with a broader range of options. And that's why, you know, we do everything we can to support the broker base. You know, and if you bring it back to a Think Realty, you know, and some of your conferences, you know, we will support our clients at your conferences, whether we help, you know, subsidize the cost of sponsorship or things of that nature, so that your client base ultimately, you know, can realize more options. And that's whether those options are with Constructive or not. Right. Yeah. Now, you, uh, Constructive as a whole, have been doing very, very well in a very tumultuous market, right? Where While... Yeah. Others that um, have a similar um, business model, uh, you know, as you have not done as well. Um, and so, why have you guys done so well in this last period of time that we've seen companies, large companies, literally disappear right. in this space? Why? Right. Why are you guys winning? Yeah, I mean, I think that the big ticket item was that we ended up diversifying our capital sources very early back to the, you know, earlier statement just about bringing insurance money in. So what we've seen, um, you know, since the beginning of 2022 was that not only did interest rates rise sharply, um, but I think in general, uh, the mortgage related capital markets just uh, really were not functioning super efficiently. Um, so it wasn't only just the sharp rise in interest rates, you know, there were other structural issues with the market that really caused for fixed income bond related securitization based capital to just be inefficient. And we had started diversifying, like you and I have talked about it many times since then, uh, back in the first quarter of 21. Um, and at that point, everybody was just, uh, you know, effectively capitalizing their business through 
fixed income um, and the bond market. And, you know, we decided to partner with a life insurance company. Um, you would know them for sure by name, but, um, you know, and look, we made a little bit less money on, you know, loans that we delivered there, but in turn, we were able to put forward, forth a, you know, forward relationship where, you know, they committed capital to us over time. Um, we were locking and pricing 45 to 60 day periods where the rest of the market was trying to keep up with not only the rates going up, but also, you know, the, the issues that were causing rates to go up even higher than market rates were because of the aforementioned dysfunction in the market. So that was the big ticket item. I think that really allowed us to pick up a lot of market share in a market that, you know, likely wasn't growing, right? Because I think if you look at, you know, organic demand in general at, you know, DSCR rates in the high eights, and, you know, uh, residential transitional rates in the 11s and 12s, you know, relative to where they came from, you know, it was, um, it was a market share phenomenon that, you know, is directly related to what you were mentioning before, where we saw either the, you know, consolidation, um, you know, or the, the closing of several competitors that, you know, did have, um, that did have good market share, um, but weren't diversified um, and made some mistakes uh, when it came to their administration of the capital market. So yeah. that's that's the big ticket item. I mean, again, and it, when the market's this challenging, though, right? Because look, we're 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 doing very well. Um, you know, our volume levels are are basically as high as they've been ever. Yeah, but we're not making the same amount of money on those loans as we, we did before, right? So we're working for lower margin. Our broker clients are working for lower margin. And of course, um, you know, your your client base uh, is doing everything at lower margin because financing costs are higher and, mm-hmm. you know, property values just haven't come down, um, you know, accordingly. So right. I think everybody's taken a bite out of the apple. You know, that's kind of what, we've done we've paid a lot of attention to costs and other other things that are just you know fundamental areas of mortgage banking but i think that if you really had to look at it relative to the rest of the market it was the the, the diversification of our capital sources and the early diversification of our capital sources relative to you know some of the things that we're all familiar with that have kind of happened since the beginning of 2022 yeah the uh, real estate investor that's sitting there listening um, and listening to what you're saying about the markets, listening to what you're saying about broker relationships, so on and so forth. Um, I'm curious your opinion on how important it is for these uh, more you know, Main Street real estate investors that are sourcing capital. Maybe they're fixing and flipping 20, 30, 50 houses a year. Maybe they're yep. you know, financing 20, 30 DSCR loans a year. Um, how important is it for them to understand all the way upstream where the capital's coming from? You know, like I personally, you know, I'm a heavy real estate investor and right. um, I have a uh, and, and I have a, a new construction loan on eight new construction properties in South Florida and um, worked with a broker to get the dollars and didn't realize how scared the capital was and where it was coming from, which, you know, 
the construction took a little bit longer and and it was like pulling teeth to get a three-month extension on a new construction loan there was only a 12-month loan as it was and it's like because i didn't realize how scared the money was you know coming through the stream how important is it for the broker relationship but also for the the main street investor to understand where this capital is coming from like you talked about insurance sources it's like i know insurance i know insurance very well and i also understand right. insurance's proclivity to to risk and it's not it, it they have a lot more tolerance than a lot of other sources do how important is it for this main street investor to understand where this capital is coming from well, look, I think it's, it's helpful, of course, right? I mean, I think if you're um, running your business uh, and you're you're fueling it with financing, I mean, I think it's, you know, to the extent that you know what's going to um, cause and affect, you know, your terms and obviously just to, to your point, the general availability of liquidity, you know, look, I think it's a value add, but I do think that if you, if you work with, um, some quality brokers, right? Or you work with a quality broker, you know, they're going to have a pulse on, I mean, look, this is how they get paid, right? So they're, I mean, they're going to have a pulse on where this money's coming from, what's available um, and, you know, what lenders provide, what type of products, right? As we know, lenders all have, you know, differences when it comes to risk tolerances, pricing, right? I mean, we'll, work for very low margin, you know, because we're a high volume, lower margin, you know, but there's certain things that we won't do that, that others will. Um, and I think you can lean on your broker base, mm -hmm. um, for, for a lot of that expertise. Yeah. Now, look, I think that, you know, it's certainly helpful to understand that, you know, if rates are rising quickly, you know, do you want to ask questions when you're at the time in a relationship if somebody has access to insurance money? Um, and I, I think it's, look, insurance money is rate sensitive also, but it's not as sensitive to some of the nuances in the securitization markets that cause rates to go even higher than, right. you know, the market rates are driving them. So, I think it's a value add. I think there's other ways to, you know, lock that knowledge down. And I think, that, and that's why, you know, I was out, I, I met with a couple of clients um, last week in person. Right. I mean, and you know, they can tell me things that I don't even know are going on in the market. Right. Because, you know, I'm pretty focused on what, what we're doing at constructive and, you know, I mean, through, through, through yourself and, and some of your other verticals. I mean, we have a good network where we all kind of um, are, are able to communicate about what's going on, but it, you know, they're the ones that really are the experts when it comes to finding capital. I think they could tell you pretty quickly, you know, what, you know, from an availability perspective, you, you know, and a price perspective, what's out there. Yeah. When you kind of last question, um, when you look at the market, I mean, I, I hate the crystal ball question because I mean, yeah. who, who knows? And we're in a market that's moving so much. But are there any uh, changes that you see coming in 2024 that you can kind of count on? I mean, I'm not going to ask you like where the market's going or what rates are going to be or anything like that, because, you know, who knows? Right. And it's, it's all speculative at best. But what about like the more yeah. consistent changes that you know might happen in 2024? Or you feel pretty strongly they're going to happen in 2024. Yeah, well, well, look, I, I don't. Of course, 
to your point, I don't know what interest rates you're going to do. Um, you know, I mean, I think that you will start to see some type of residual impact of an 8% conventional mortgage rate, mm. you know, and its impact on um, more, more macro factors. Here's what I'll tell you. Um, you know, one of the problems going from, to, from, from 2021 to 2022 was that if you remember 2021 and where rates were, I think the capital markets in general were, you know, drinking out of the fire hose when it came to residential mortgage assets. I mean, they just took on so many of them that in 2022, you know, obviously we had the interest rate pressure, but you also had a little bit of rebalancing, um, you know, where I think people were just, diversifying away from resi assets at the same time. So again, that was part of what caused some of the, the dysfunction beyond, beyond the interest rate movements. Um, so I would tell you that 2023, there wasn't a lot of, you know, non-agency mortgage assets in general, the non-QM consumer market, right? The owner-occupied type of stuff. There just wasn't a lot of that originated just because of where the rates were. I mean, on a relative basis. So I think the demand will be there. You know, I think the supply is going to depend a lot on what happens with interest rates. Um, you know, and I, I think, well, constructive, I think we can continue to pick up market share. I think there's others that probably can continue to pick up market share. But I think, you know, to, to answer your question, you know, as it pertains to the broader market, um, I would tell you that I, I think that there is going to be an appetite uh for residential investor loans um you know but there's there's a lot of other things that have to really you know fall into place to maybe enhance the supply you know and obviously interest rates will be one what happens with the housing market will will be another right i mean you've got this dynamic now where you know there's just the transient activity just not there because yeah most people can't leave. Yeah. So, um, you know, you're going to leave and you're going to go into an 8% mortgage rate somewhere else, right? With, you know, the overwhelming preponderance of uh, the market locked in under 5%, right? So, yeah. So we'll see. I mean, yeah. um, again, I don't have a crystal ball. I do think there'll be a demand for these assets to the extent that the supply is there. Um, you know, I think there's a good base case that rates could either stabilize or, or come in a little bit. But, you know, you and I both know, I mean, there's crazy things that are happening now. If you look at some of the, the, the geopolitical tensions um, where normally you would have seen a rush to U.S. Treasuries and rates come down and like they went up. Right. I mean, I think after the the you know some of the news from the middle east came out i mean you know you saw the 10-year treasury run up over five after that i mean right. you know uh in in you know prior similar instances you know we, you would have seen a rush into u.s treasuries and gold right i mean it's, right. it's, it's a different it's not only a different world it's a different market and it's it's very very bizarre times too very very unpredictable um, it's also we're in this very strange time where I, I've been talking a lot about just the cap, the economic capital irony, right? Like you have more capital sitting on the sideline than ever before in 
history, but yet we have the hardest time getting it to the actual street. You know, it's like you have yeah. $2 trillion sitting out there in private equity liquidity, right. and yet no private equity firms are actually buying deals right now. You know, it's like, it's just, it's this, it's really fascinating. And um, right. something has to break. I mean, there, I think part soon. of the reason, obviously, right, is that, you know, even if you've got the equity there, you know, the financing, you know, you, you get, you're generally pairing that equity up with some, some right. financing and the cost right. of the financing is high. And yeah. quite honestly, I mean, you know, you can get a great return on, on your equity uh, by throwing in the short-term treasuries, right? I mean, you get five and a half on a, you know, right. treasury that's less than three months and keep cycling it until the party ends. And, yeah. you know, so um, to jump into a deal with a high cost of leverage, you know, just, I think on a, on a relative basis, just isn't as attractive yeah. for, for, you know, yeah. big institutional capital right now. And, and private debt funds that are popping up all over, they're paying anywhere from eight to 12% is pretty, pretty wild. You know, it's like, and those are very, very appetizing. It's hard, it's hard to get that calculus to work. <laughs> yeah, it's really right. it's hard to get that calculus to work. Yeah. And I'll tell you like, so for instance, you know, I can relate it back to constructive. I mean, um, you know, all of our warehouse financing, um, which is, you know, generally, the, you know, the methodology that we use to fund fund loans, but we're table funding on behalf of, of our of our brokers and borrowers, you know, those are all over SOFR. Mm -hmm. And, you know, SOFR is lockstep with, with uh, the federal funds rate, right? So it's like, I mean, the carrying costs on these things before we <laughs> deliver them to whether it's insurance or, I mean, or, you know, there's no, there's no interest margin anymore, right? And that's yeah. with market rates in the high eight, almost nines yeah. on DFCR loans, at least. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely, it's definitely different, right? You just can't count on that carry anymore. And yeah. I just think there's uh, just dynamics that, you know, most of the, uh, you know, anybody who's in our generations hasn't really seen before. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very crazy. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I always appreciate your insight. I appreciate the support you give both the real estate investment market, but also the private lending market. Look forward to seeing you in Vegas in a couple of weeks. And, yeah, likewise. Uh, and uh, I, I look forward to catching up. But thank you so much for joining the, the show today and uh, always appreciate your insight. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ben. One more quick thank you to our podcast sponsor, uh, Residential Assisted Living Academy. Residential Assisted Living Academy introduces you to a lucrative opportunity that can yield $10,000 a month net cash flow um, for you as well as those who uh, you are survived. Uh, learn more at ral101.com. That's ral101.com. And then one quick plug for an upcoming conference we have in Phoenix, Arizona, March 28th and 29th, 2024. If you're a real estate investor on the West Coast, we'd love to see you out there. Um, and as a bonus, if you'll go to thinkreally.com and sign up for the Phoenix uh, show, um, if you use the word podcast, the code podcast, you get a buy one, get one free. Uh, bring a friend with you, an investor, uh, a partner, whatever it is, bring, bring someone with you. Uh, this will be the first time we've been in Phoenix and we'll have hundreds of real estate investors as well as great lenders and brokers, uh, a lot of service providers. Uh, we're going to provide a lot of support for you as you are growing your real estate portfolio um, and investing in real estate to make sure that you have all of that support to make sure that growing that 
um, that that piece for you uh, is as seamless and uh, and uh, and and as easy for you as possible. Uh, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. It's always a privilege to serve you in this way. If you haven't uh, seen our local, uh, our, our recent magazine, uh, make sure you go to your local Barnes & Noble and pick it up on the, on the bookshelves, or you go to thinkreally.com and have it sent out to your home, uh, and we'd love to support you in that way. Thanks so much for, having, uh, for being a part of the show today. Uh, have a great day. Mm-hmm.